Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. He is angry. He is worked up. The apostle of joy for the rest of Philippians is angry. He's angry that these people are trying to proclaim a gospel of Jesus and blank. In our world, there is the same temptation. There is the same false teaching. This is what we often call legalism. One pastor's definition is that legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. died on the cross, he paid the debt for our sin and made us right with God. In other words, we no longer have to work through toil, piety, and obedience to try and earn a right relationship with the Lord. Instead, we approach the Almighty God by faith in Jesus alone. In today's message, Pastor Ricky uses the words of the Apostle Paul to warn us against the temptation of legalism. When false teachers try to persuade us back into the bondage of religion, we must cling to our trust in Jesus' all-sufficient sacrifice. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part one of his message, How to Spot a Forgery, from the book of Philippians, chapter three. Well, in 1937, a painting by Dutch, the Dutch master Vermeer was discovered. It was big news because there were only 35 paintings by this Dutch artist. It was, this painting, as it was found, was evaluated by a famous art critic who verified the painting. He noted that the canvas was exactly the right era, the paints the right composition for that era. Even the brush strokes came from the right type of brushes from that period. The work was sold for $6 million. It was donated to an important museum in Rotterdam and featured at the center of this grand exposition of the Dutch masters. It won rapturous reviews and accolades. There was only one problem. It was a forgery. Dutch artist Han van Meergeren was frustrated when critics complained his works were only poor derivatives of the old masters. As revenge, he bought canvases from the 17th century. He found old, old paint recipes and mixed his own paints. He made his own brushes in the old style. He studied the period extensively. And here was his genius. He did not copy one of the old works. Instead, he made a new work in that style. And then he claimed that it had been discovered. He planned originally to wait for it to be displayed and then call the bluff and say, ha, art critics don't know anything. And yet, once he got his first $6 million, um, he developed a taste for it and painted another six, quote, Vermeers and made over $60 million. In fact, the only reason he was ever caught is that he was charged with a different crime, and to get out of that crime, he actually confessed to the forgeries. Otherwise, these things would still be hanging in museums all around the world. In our text today, there is a similar problem. Paul is concerned that someone is selling the Philippians a forgery. What they're selling looks good, it looks very good, but Paul says, no, this is 
a fake. So today, Paul is going to help us understand how to find forgeries of Christianity, how to tell whether the faith we have, the the saving faith we have, is genuine or not. So the main idea is simple today. Look closer, Paul says. True Christianity puts no confidence in the flesh. That's the telltale sign we're going to zero in on this morning. Look closer. True Christianity puts no confidence in the flesh. Three sections today. The first one is the forged religion. Verse two, the forged religion. Now, Paul is addressing these false teachers, and we're going to learn a little bit more about them next week as well. Uh, We don't know everything about this particular group, but we know enough. We know that a few decades after the gospel of Jesus began to spread, a false strain of teaching began to spread along with it. Many scholars call this group the Judaizers. They were teachers who were proclaiming Jesus, but not just Jesus. They were claiming that in order to be a, be a, quote, real Christian, a real follower of Jesus, you had to believe in Jesus. Yes, that's right. But you also had to follow all the Jewish rituals. You needed Jesus to be saved, but you had to add to Jesus these moral and religious and ethnic markers, right? You had to be, in essence, they would probably say, you have to be Jewish before you can be Christian. The people in Philippi were starting to waver, right? Most of them were not Jews. And these people come in and they think, okay, this sounds good. I mean, they're not saying not to believe in Jesus. They're telling us, yeah, believe in Jesus. And they're giving us more things to do. So that sounds right. But Paul is having none of this. And you might think, Paul, like, okay, guys, let's just knock it off. No, he barks three warnings at them. First, he says, look out for the dogs. Now, For those of us in our church, I know we have many dog lovers, and in our culture, dogs are usually lovable and Instagrammable and man's best friend. We have dogs with their own social media accounts. But in the first century, dogs were not what we think of as dogs today. These were, nobody had a domesticated dog for the most part. Uh, The dogs that, that were in the cities were scavengers, Uh, They ate dead bodies and carcasses and carried disease, right? And one time I was in Mexico in an area where they said, when you go through this canyon, watch out for El Diablo. And I thought, oh my gosh, what what is that? And I found out El Diablo was this probably rabid, crazy dog that would pop up at different places and eat carcasses and things. And we saw him, we did, we saw him like on the cliff. And this thing was like mangy and it's like, and I thought, oh my gosh, that is what Paul is talking about, okay? Look out for the dogs. Not the chihuahuas, but these dogs, the scavenger terror dogs. And this is ironic because Jews in the first century often referred to Gentiles derogatorily as dogs. They saw them as scavengers, unclean, filthy people. And Paul takes that and throws it back at these Jewish teachers. No, you're the dogs. He goes on and says, look out for the evildoers. So there's more irony here. The Judaizers said that you'd be evil and you couldn't be saved if you didn't follow these rituals. Don't be an evil person. Be a good person like us. And Paul says, no, you're the ones that are evil. And third, 
Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, this is super offensive. The Jewish teachers were saying that you had to be circumcised, even as an adult, if you wanted to be saved by Jesus. Circumcision was the most important ethnic and religious marker for Jews. It was given as a sign of being one of God's people. It was the ritual above all rituals to mark them out. And Paul is taking their prized ritual and saying, you know what you're doing? All you're doing is mutilating people's flesh. Right? This is super offensive. He is angry. He is worked up. The apostle of joy for the rest of Philippians is angry. He's angry that these people are trying to proclaim a gospel of Jesus and blank. In our world, there is the same temptation. There is the same false teaching. This is what we often called legalism. One pastor's definition is that legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance by God through obedience to God. And friends, this kind of thinking is still pervasive in the church today. People say things like, to be saved, you need Jesus and a certain number of religious rituals or a certain number of prayers or to be baptized as an infant. You need Jesus and you better speak in tongues. You need Jesus and you need to give a certain amount You need Jesus and you have to have this political stance before you're welcomed into the people of God. The irony is this, when you try to add something to Jesus to obtain salvation, you actually subtract Jesus. It's a strange math equation, but Jesus plus anything negates Jesus and pulls him out of the equation altogether. Listen, I'm one of those people that I like rules. Growing up, I would think, does God really care about me? Is he really for me? Am I really a Christian? And I would kind of comfort myself by bringing out all these things. Well, I go to church. I read my Bible. Sure, I I may have lusted or envied, but but then I helped somebody, and then I attended youth group, right? And in, in that way, I craved having something that I could hold on to and say, okay, well, Jesus, good, that's true, but, but I also have this. And, and that's how I know I'm justified before God. It's, it's, it, in a perverse way, it's attractive. I talked to somebody one time that they said, you know what, I probably would love that denomination just because I love rules. They make me feel better, right? There's a part of our human heart that wants this. So let me just make the point here that discernment is needed in the Christian life. Things can look good and sound good. People can talk about Jesus. And we think, well, if they're talking about Jesus, they must be uh, good and safe people. No, we must know the gospel well. That's why Paul brings up the same things. He's saying, listen, I'm saying the same things to you. And understanding the same things and the gospel of Jesus well guards us from strains of false teaching. That's the first section, the forged religion. The second is the real thing. Verse three, for we are the circumcision, which is a weird banner to hang in your church. (laughs) Right, we don't have that on one of the walls. He's claiming something radical though. He says, listen, they were often known as the circumcision party because that's, they were so synonymous with that. And he says, no, 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 no. We are, 
And, and by saying we, he's including all of the Gentile Christians in Philippi with him. We are the circumcision. How can he say that? Well, I'm going to give a brief biblical theological sweep of understanding this. This is very brief. I wish we could spend a lot more time on it. But I think it's helpful to just understand a bit about this. In the beginning, God created the world good, but humanity turned away to sin and rebellion, right? So we know the next part of the story is that God called this pagan, he wasn't Jewish when he called him, pagan named Abraham to start a new people, a people who would be God's people, and through that people, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And one of the key marks of being one of God's people was circumcision, this cutting of a part of skin to illustrate that God's people were were separated out from the rest of people at the cost of shed blood. They're separated out at the cost of shed blood. And added to this were all the Old Testament laws that fell into generally three categories. Ceremonial laws like circumcision or not having garments of mixed fibers and things like that. Civil laws, governing the country kind of laws. And moral laws like don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Well, when Jesus came, he fulfilled, Scripture says he fulfilled the law in every sense of the word. Every ceremonial law, the heart of the civil law, the heart of the moral law. He was the only person in history that you could compare to the whole stack of Old Testament laws and say, yes, he is fully righteous, even in his heart. And yet, Jesus gave himself for us. So what happens? Well, then after Jesus, God showed Peter and Paul and the apostles that the ceremonial laws of circumcision and the types of garments and all these things were fulfilled by Jesus and no longer needed to be followed. These dietary requirements were fulfilled by Jesus. They were meant to point to something and the picture was fulfilled in Jesus. They were meant to illustrate a separation between God's people and the world at the cost of shed blood and that was fulfilled in Jesus. So what Paul is saying is, no, you don't understand theologically. We are now, those of us in Christ, the circumcision. The the picture that was pointing to is fulfilled in the people of God who are in Christ. See, the true identity of the Christian is deeper than an external sign. I remember my dad telling me stories of, this is going to be a flashback for some of you, but Years and years ago, when he was a kid, uh, his dad worked downtown in El Paso, and he would go to Wattis to get his hair cut because it was cheaper, right? And there's a few times my grandpa just let him walk over to Wattis and get his hair cut and then come back, which I think is awesome. Um, and so on the way back, I don't know, I don't think he always had his passport because he remembers the agents, the border agents asking him questions like, are you, an, are you really an American little boy? And because he didn't have like all of his paperwork, he wasn't carrying a folder. So they would ask him, okay, well, who is the first president? Who is the second president, right? Tell me some things you're learning in school. And, and they would talk to him and they could just tell from the way he's talking, man, this kid is, is, is an American. He doesn't have a piece of external paper, but it's obvious that the marks of being from this country are on him. And in a similar way, this is what Paul is saying. Listen, rather than saying like, oh, you've got this external paperwork, now because of Jesus, the marks are deeper, right? 
that your identity is rooted in something far deeper. So Paul is going to give us three ways to spot the real thing, to spot what true Christianity is. I love, um, I love watching nerd stuff like those YouTube videos that show you all of the signs on like a $20 bill that it's genuine. You know, they're like, look for this, look for that. You know, you have this, like little micro printing section. You've got, it's like laced with those numbers that are in there. You hold it up to an ultraviolet light. It has a certain color, has these watermarks in a certain way. The dye has to be like a certain way. And so Paul is trying to help the Philippians with these same things. He's saying, listen, I'm going to give you the marks. When you're looking at this thing, you know, this is genuine. This isn't a fake. And he gives three marks. First one. We worship by the Spirit of God. Worship is this word that can also be translated service, which in the HCSB, if you have one of those, it's service by the Spirit of God, meaning that it's a life of devotion to the Lord, but it's through the power of the Spirit. See, believers in Christ have something new and unique that would have been much envied by the Old Testament believers. They're marked not just by some external sign that they don't wear certain clothes anymore, but by an internal sign of being sealed with the Spirit. This is what Jesus said he came to do, to, to through his work, pour out the Spirit of God on all of the people of God. Now, I've talked to believers who, when they are saved, they have a dramatic encounter with the Spirit of God. And I've talked to other believers who, when they are saved, do not have a dramatic encounter in like some visibly impressive way with the Spirit of God. But Paul is saying, listen, whether it was dramatic or didn't seem that dramatic, what has happened inside you is dramatic, and there is internally in you the Spirit of God that is living and active and working in you. And, and one of the signs of the Spirit's work in your life, as we've seen through the letter of Philippians, is the presence of joy that is not dependent on your circumstances. So he's saying, listen, if you're serving the Lord through the Spirit of God, that's a sign of genuine faith. Second, Mark, and glory in Christ Jesus. This can be translated boasting in Christ Jesus. So the thing that they rejoice in and can't stop talking about is Jesus and his work. More than anything else in life, what they are looking to for their identity, what they're holding on to, what they're holding up is Jesus. See, one of the main differences between somebody who is merely religious and somebody who is a Christian is somebody who is religious likes to talk a lot about the stuff they do, whereas a Christian loves to talk a lot about what Jesus has done. They boast in Jesus. And the third mark is they put no confidence in the flesh. See, this is really the crucial distinction that helps us see everything more clearly. The most important difference between the Judaizers and all their rituals and true Christians is where they put their confidence for salvation and standing before God. I heard the story of a, of a missionary who was working in a part of the world where he was trying to translate the Bible into a local cultural dialect. 
he was trying to translate the word faith, and he couldn't find out, he couldn't find, how do I translate this word faith? Or maybe according to this text, the confidence. He couldn't find a word. But then, as he was trying and racking his brain, a local villager came to him in great distress and said, kind of in the local dialect, friend, I need help. May I come lean heavily upon you? Meaning like he needed financial assistance or medical assistance saying, may I come and basically lean heavily upon you, put my weight on you because I need help. And the missionary thought that is what I'm looking for. That phrase, that is the essence of faith or in our text, the essence of confidence is coming and leaning heavily. And so what Paul is saying, listen, I, I do not and will not and cannot come and lean heavily on my flesh, meaning the stuff that I can work up in and of myself. What he's been holding out this whole letter is lean on Jesus. But brothers and sisters, there is glorious news today, and that is this, that Jesus is worthy of our confidence. See, Paul in chapter two has just held out the glory and beauty of Jesus. And now in chapter three, he says, listen, don't put confidence in the flesh, put confidence in Jesus. And Jesus is worthy of all of our confidence because only Jesus was the glorious king of the universe who was and is majestic and infinite and immortal Only Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, taking on the nature of a servant. Only Jesus considered it a joy to come on this mission to seek and save lost people like us. Only Jesus had a perfect, righteous record without stain or blemish. Only Jesus took the full weight of our sin on himself at the cross. Only Jesus bore the full weight of the wrath of God to pay for our sins, past, present, and future. Only Jesus could be struck by death and instead turn and strike death back. Only Jesus emerged victorious from the grave. Only he lives to intercede for us at the right hand of God. And only he, matchless, infinite, majestic is the living guarantee of our salvation now and forever. And listen, what Paul is saying when he says, put no confidence in the flesh, the strong implication in Philippians is you put your confidence in Jesus. I've just unfolded for you in chapter two who he is and why he is worthy of leaning your full weight upon. Don't lean on that. Lean on Jesus. Hope in God, oh my soul. He is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. We wish we had more time with you today, but sadly, that's all we have to share from Pastor Ricky's message today. However, you don't have to stop learning from the happiest book in the Bible. We'd like to encourage you to read ahead in Philippians and let the joy Jesus has to give you become your go-to emotion. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other Better News Radio series, we'd like to invite you to visit betternewsradio.com. You'll even be able to subscribe to our podcast. 
watch Pastor Ricky's welcome video, and download a free book. If you're searching for a church in your area, we'd also like to point you to the Church tab at betternewsradio.com. There you'll find a resource to help you locate a great community of faith that would be happy to welcome you into their family. If you're in El Paso, we'd love to have you come by Cross of Grace Church. Find directions and service times at the Church tab as well, right there online at betternewsradio.com. We know that some of our listeners today may be experiencing some difficulties in life, and we'd like to let you know that you're being prayed for regularly here at Better News Radio. If you ever have a specific request you'd like us to take before the Lord, feel free to give us a call. Our number is 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. Thanks again for being part of our listening audience. Join us next time to keep experiencing the happiest book in the Bible, right here on Better News Radio.